well, friends, this is the last episode of this season, and perhaps for a long while. It was a tough choice what to discuss for this episode, which falls under Pillar 7, Prosperity and Competence. Uh, that is, how democracies govern themselves competently and help all citizens prosper. Uh, but there was some recent news about leaked bank documents exposing money laundering through uh, the international financial system. And so I thought I would talk about that aspect of corruption, you know, dirty money tax evasion. Uh, I'm not talking about Trump, who owes about $420 million to banks from different countries who gave him big loans. That's a coincidence that that also leaked recently. The main sources I'm going to use to talk about this issue are uh, from a the BBC Business Daily podcast um, that came out recently, and also a uh, BuzzFeed article that organization worked with the ICIJ to organize and report on this big leak of documents. And I'm also going to refer to a book that I read not long ago by Jake Bernstein called Secrecy World Inside the Panama Papers Investigation of Illicit Money Networks and the Global Elite. Let me start by stating the connection to democracy. If democratic citizens believe many other citizens or corporations are not abiding by the rules for paying their fair share of taxes, and that they do so with impunity, and if crime and tax evasion occur with at least the passive assistance of the financial system, uh, then we lose faith in, in government, in Um, the economic system, in the rules. Uh, You know, besides, if we want to reduce wealth inequality and if we want to stop corrupt authoritarian regimes and organized crime and tackle some of the big problems in our world, then we have to make this financial system work by fair rules and and make the the best use of all the wealth that it generates. Um, So... It's painful to find out the extent of the problem, but it's always better to find out the, this information um, as we do from these periodic leaks. So this most recent one is called FinCEN or FinCEN, and it's from the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, which is a branch of the U.S. Treasury, and that's where the documents came from. These reports flag more than $2 trillion in transactions of a criminal or a highly questionable nature um, passing through 90 banks and other financial institutions. They reference people with addresses in the U.S. and a number of other countries, including Canada. The British Virgin Islands and Hong Kong were common uh, locations and for where these issues happen because these are known tax havens. Um, At least 25 of the people named are billionaires. Most of the transactions are from over over five years ago. So just to take one example, 
from 2014. It was um, J.P. Morgan Chase, which processed $335 billion in suspicious activity from a Swiss precious metals company called MKS. Uh, so the U.S. Treasury folks, um, the investigators, you know, there and I think elsewhere say that the sheer volume of these uh, these kinds of issues make it pretty impossible to try to deal with them all. And FinCEN's staff has shrunk by more than 10% over the last 10 years. And you could also say the same, by the way, of the IRS going after uh, tax cheats as well. Um, on the BBC podcast, uh, Susan Hawley said that banks and regulators are not doing enough to stop the, this flow of criminal money. And that, so that's one of the things that this report shows is that they are, um, you know, they're, they're really not doing very much, um, maybe sort of the bare minimum at, at best. Uh, and, Tom Burgess agreed and says that this all amounts to a threat to democracy and freedom. And he makes a comparison of how we are slowly awakening to the scope of this problem to our slow realization of climate change. Um, And he said that the best remedy is to return to the times when we only allowed money to be exchanged between named individuals. Uh, That way we would, you know, kind of simply cut out the complex uh, schemes and shell corporations and and such. Uh, I, you know, I think that's an interesting idea. It, it, on the, on the surface, it sounds a little bit radical. So I'd be curious to learn more about what that would mean if we tried to do that. Um, Anyway. Uh, Now, to tie this in with past leaks, I'll turn to the Panama Papers and the other leaks from 2016 and before, and and not to mention the Paradise Papers and that came after. Um, But the Panama Papers were leaked... Uh, after the German government, you know, like other governments, offered uh, a reward for information about these things. But in fact, the person who who made the the leak um, did it out of public interest uh, motives, not for the money. Um, so the the documents embarrassed and exposed. Uh, the offshore accounts of some pretty high-profile figures like prime ministers of Iceland and uh, the UK uh, and people you'd expect like Putin and Trump. Now, offshore accounts themselves are not illegal, but they're often used to hide money from taxes or to allow dictators to hide money that they have stolen from their own country. Uh, And... For instance, the leaks showed China's dominant role in this secrecy world. Uh, In the the U.S., uh, the 
Trump and GOP, ha- Trump and, G- and the GOP have made it harder to track this kind of money because they undid many of the reforms that the Obama administration put in place. Not that the Democrats uh, were perfect in this, but um, so what Jake Bernstein says is that because of these leaks, the tax havens have since moved mostly away from Panama and British Virgin Islands and Switzerland, um, and they've gone to places like Dubai and Singapore uh, and elsewhere. It it costs them something to do that, but it's not going to stop them. And there, many governments have used those documents to investigate and go after some of those uh, um, individuals and, and corporations, but Canada seems a bit of a laggard there. The the CRA site says that 150 taxpayers have been or will be audited. News reports said that no charges had been laid, although there were five criminal investigations underway. That information is a bit old. I was I had some trouble finding more up to date information on that. <laughs> um, in the U.S., every year. Over uh, for every year for the last thirty years, there has been two trillion dollars of redistribution of wealth from the bottom ninety nine percent of earners to the top one percent, according to Nick Henauer, a former venture capitalist and now the head of Civic Ventures, uh, and he says that's not a capitalist market economy anymore. That's a feudalist system, and it scares me. Globally, half of the world's wealth is now held by just 1% of the world's population, according to a 2015 Credit Suisse report. It's been a, a bit of a surprise that democracies from ancient Athens to today have n- not tried to grab large share of the wealth of the rich, either because they can't or because they don't want to uh, on principle. But I think there, but there does seem to be a growing movement to go after the super rich to pay for some of our social and environmental problems. And this will be especially true after COVID. Canadians have billions or even trillions of dollars in offshore accounts. If we could close the tax gap of several that that amounts to about several billion dollars. Um, we could better pay for things like universal child care and climate, you know, mitigation. So, Canada and other countries are taking some actions to address these problems, and you know, generally the issue of tax fairness, wealth inequality, and crime. But so much more is needed. Part of the problem I expect is that it needs global cooperation, which is difficult when the big players have little interest in that. I would think that they would have to agree on some basic rules to improve transparency, uh, you know, and and what bank, banks need to do and to close down tax havens. Perhaps individual states can 
address some of that problem with their own laws and tax policies, but I'm guessing that that's limited because money moves and rich people and corporations are mobile and there's cryptocurrencies and so forth. Uh, so, you know, I think it all it makes it pretty hard at the national level. But one simple step would be to beef up our tax investigators at the CRA to to go after what they can go after. And, you know, if they can recoup millions of dollars, and surely we, you know, we can afford to spend some money on adding some of them. Um, and in the meantime, you know, maybe we'll, maybe we do need something like a universal basic income to <clears throat> say to the average person that, at least we get a small slice of this pie. All right. Well, it's a big topic. I'm going to leave it there. And that brings an end to season two. And whether there will be a future season remains to be seen. I hope you have found these episodes enlightening. I'm Daryl, and thanks for listening. <laughs>